It is caught. Touchdown, Auburn. Sanders caught it. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Campbell in the end zone. Caught. Touchdown, Auburn. Touchdown, Auburn. Touchdown, Auburn. Marty Cadillac. It is good. It's good. And Auburn's got the lead with 10 seconds to go. Good deal. All right, welcome to Trackham Tigers podcast episode number 19. I'm joined as always by my co-host Zach Taylor. How's it going guys? It's game week. Really excited. A lot of juice, a lot of electricity in the air. How about for you? Uh, I'm pretty damn excited. I'm, I'm glad that it's finally here. Uh, I, it's almost unbelievable to an extent. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seemed like it was 90 days like yesterday, doesn't it? Yeah, like I don't know. Last week it seemed like this game was two months away, and now all of a sudden it's like the day after tomorrow almost. So it's it's nice. I'm glad it's finally getting here. Yeah, and I hear that. Uh, so you've got big plans, right, for the game? Yeah, I'm gonna go up to Atlanta. A group of me and my buddies are gonna go up there. They're actually staying up there. I'm gonna have to meet them. So uh, we're gonna do the entire Atlanta experience. I'm gonna meet them at their hotel, and then I think we're gonna ride the Marta to the game. Uh, try not to get mugged. So, you know, travel in packs for safety. Yeah, my experience has always been to stay in, like, Buckhead and take the, the Marta from Buckhead. Don't stay, you know, like, in the real Atlanta. Now, are you going to go to Chick-fil-A while you're there or, or what? I have no idea. I've never been to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, so I'll probably try to see all the sights inside, but I don't know. Have you been? What would you recommend? I have not been to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I mean, I think the last time that I was in Atlanta for a game was probably the 2010 SEC Championship. And uh, we had some friends that lived there that we actually met on a cruise. And they're actually uh, from Florida, but they moved to Atlanta. Uh, they were uh, Auburn fans, sort of. They, it's kind of funny. There's some of those people that are fans of different teams depending on how the astronomy looks for that week. But anyway, I, I wasn't going to argue with them. We stayed with them, but we stayed in Buckhead. So, you know, we were kind of off the beaten path, took the Marta. I, you know, it was a little sketchy. You know, we um, we showed up there. Of course, it wasn't at Mercedes-Benz. Uh, but we had to, I had to walk down to the local gas station to buy me some beer. And uh, that was an adventure. And, of course, you're going to get to experience the $13 or maybe it's $12 mixed drinks at the stadium. So, what, you know, what's your game plan? Put me, uh, put me on the map what you're going to do. So I'm probably going to wake up Saturday morning at about 6 or 6.30 like I normally would for work. And I think I'm going to try to be at their hotel by 8.30 or so, 8.30 or 9. I imagine we'll probably meet and have some breakfast. I actually don't know where they're staying, so I don't know if we're above or below Mercedes-Benz. Anyway, besides that, uh, I imagine we'll get some breakfast and then we have passes to, I guess, what would it be called? The fan day experience or something? They right. Have, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to try to hit that early. And as my buddy said, ride all the rides uh, and see, see what all they have to offer there. And then, yeah, try to kill as much time around the stadium, you know, as we can before kickoff. Now, is this, is Mercedes Benz still close to the CNN Center and all of that stuff? Yeah, you're asking the wrong person. Uh, like I said, I don't think Man, I've been to Atlanta know. other than flying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going to have to find out the hard way. But I mean, I I, I want to know, uh, 
I mean, are you, are you going to pony up for the twelve dollar drinks, or you know, oh, you're gonna like, I, no, absolutely. No, okay, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to go equipped to uh, to take care of myself, whatever nourishment I might need inside the stadium, because well, who knows, you know, once this game gets started, there's no telling what I'm going to need. I'm just going to kind of go as a Boy Scout and prepare, you know. Well, you know, we discovered, uh, Elise and I went to a concert in Nashville two weeks ago, and we discovered that they make uh, silicone flasks, uh, and they come in packs of threes on Amazon. They're pretty cheap, I think under $20, and, you know, it's amazing how much you can put in there. Uh, if, if you're so disposed to that, of course, I know that's not for everybody. But, yeah, I'm not uh, suggesting that's that an anyone option. sneaks alcohol into an area where they're, you know, not legally supposed to, but I'm not going to say that that is or isn't going to happen. There, there might right, be people right. with us that are doing that. I don't know. That, uh, that's personal choice. You know what I mean? Yep. Well, you know, we're gearing up for our annual, I guess it's the fourth annual college football kickoff here at the barn. Actually, I rubbed down the butt, and I'm not talking about my wife and some tanning oil. You know, we're, we're getting ready to kick it off here, uh, you know, get the barn cleaned up. I'm obviously, I'm in here today, today broadcasting from the barn. You know, we normally average between 30 to 40 people, not all at one time, of course, but uh, over the course of the day, you know, we have fans from Wisconsin, we have fans from West Virginia, LSU, Arkansas, Auburn, and Alabama, obviously, we don't let Georgia people in, and uh, I think we'll have a couple of Tennessee fans, as a matter of fact, so it's always a big thing, I hate that you're not going to be here, I know, you know, you were planning on coming, but hey, can't argue with going to the game, the only thing that I don't like about those games is that tailgating is... Uh, it's not the same experience as it is at uh, a home and home series. No, so pretty, pretty much no tailgating whatsoever, unless yeah, you that, kind of that live really in hurts. that area or you've got connections. And actually, to any of the games that I've ever been to in Atlanta, even for Falcons games, it I, the best tailgating setups I've ever seen in Atlanta are from Saints fans. They really they put any other fan base to shame as far as any football games I've seen in Atlanta. Now I'm sure people who are listening have different stories and different opinions, but the best setups I've ever seen from any fans hands down has to go to the Saints because they set up, they've got the barbecues out, they're doing gumbo, they're doing ribs, butts, burgers. Falcons fans, you know, that from what I've seen, they just kind of show up, back the car up, put a little, you know, like a Honda generator out, burn some burgers real quick and then run into the stadium. So I don't know if your experiences differ but I haven't really seen a lot of hardcore tailgating up there. No, and that was kind of my experience, too. And it may be because, you know, they people don't know the layout of the land when they get there. I mean, we're talking about uh, you know, two different teams. When, when I was there, obviously, it was South Carolina and Auburn. So, yeah, you know, some of the Auburn fans did tailgate. But, you know, I did notice one thing in common with pretty much everybody, and, and that is when they left to go to the game, uh, they only left stuff that uh, they dis- they I guess considered disposable because I guess they thought maybe it wouldn't be there when they got back. But anyway, yeah, moving right. on. You can get picked clean up there too. So tell me, just to start out, I'm going to ask you a question. Actually, I'm going to give you a number, and I want you to give me your feelings. And I'm going to give you 24 points, and I'm going to let you go. So go. 24 points for who? Doesn't matter. You tell me 24 points for one team, what does that mean, 24 points for the other? Here's what 24 points means to me. I don't think that Auburn I don't think that Auburn can score any more than 24 points in this game. And I think that that's how much Auburn's going to have to score to win this football game. Is that what you're looking for? Yep, that you're on the right track. Okay. 
So that when you say twenty four points, that's what sticks out in my mind. Okay, well that's a good start. Yeah, I mean I I think me and you we talked earlier today, and we were talking about you know scores, kind of what we thought it would be at the half, and kind of that twenty four had a magic number, and it, and it and it meant different things depending on which team was scoring twenty four. And you know I think you know going back to that number, Auburn can win with twenty four points. But if they allow Washington to score 24 points, I think we both agree they're probably in trouble. Yeah, I think it's game over at that point. Yep, yep. And and so building on that, um, I think we also have similar feelings on where we think, you know, what is the the big key to this game? And I think think you're going to say that halftime adjustments are the key to the game, right? I think so. I think that the team who makes the best halftime adjustments, pending – you know, there isn't some super-duper large lead at halftime by one of the teams. I think the team that makes the best halftime adjustments is possibly going to win this game going away. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat, uh, you know, and, and and we think that one coach is probably really good at that. One coach is, you know, on the fence, right? I, well, yeah, and more specifically to that point, I feel more confident in what Kevin Steele might be able to do at halftime as opposed to what our offensive coaching staff might be able to put together at halftime. That's not to say that you couldn't get a game where one would be better than the other, but if you want me to put my money down week-to-week betting on who's going to have the better adjustments, I would say that it's going to be Kevin Steele most of the time. Yeah, and I think he's proven that time and time again. And, and you know, it's probably a revisionist history here, but, you know, I don't really remember a team just absolutely jumping on Auburn, even in the first half. I mean, uh, can you think of a game under Kevin Steele where, where an offense just absolutely jumped on him hard and created, you know, so much separation between the two that, that we were in that much trouble? No, I can't. And that's actually a really good point. And I'm going back. No, I can't think of anybody jumping on us. I, it always seems like, especially in these early games, it feels like we've been suffocated to death. That's, yeah, that's I mean, a it, very it, good point. Yeah, and it didn't come down to really uh, the defense having to do much. I mean, they, they you know, we, we never got jumped on that we may give up uh, some points. I think we talked in our last podcast, the thing that I was expecting, and not necessarily from Washington because I was talking about LSU at the time, but, you know, the only thing that worries me is Auburn getting punched in the mouth that first series of the game, and I have faith that Kevin Steele will have that defense ready to go and he'll make adjustments. I mean, the, the real question, I mean, we're tiptoeing around it, is, you know, Steele's going to keep us in this game. I think we kind of know that. It's, is, is the offense going to give us any breathing room to, you know, keep that defense fresh? I don't think that I can say that with any resounding confidence yet. And it's hard because I haven't seen the finished product on the field. And, I mean, I don't even think we're going to – even if we win this football game, we're not going to see the quote-unquote finished product on the field during this game – but that's really hard for me to say. We've got the offensive line concerns. Uh, you know, we don't exactly know how this passing offense is going to come around. We don't know how our running backs are going to respond to carrying the football for most of the game. I don't know, man. I don't. I. I'm trying to envision in my mind Auburn getting out to a fast start, a fast, successful start, and what that might look like. And. I kind of come up blank. I can throw random names out. I can say, oh, a touchdown pass to so-and-so or Cam Martin taking the first carry to the house. But when you start getting down to the nitty-gritty realistic aspect of it, 
I'm having I'm having a hard time envisioning that. And that's not to suggest that I think that these guys are going to be garbage. Uh, but do you kind of see what I'm saying there? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think because we've really come out of the canon, you know, fast here in this this episode, which I really like, and I and I think our listeners are going to like this too. You know, uh, I think we're going to get there. I think we're going to get there by the by the end of this episode because we're going to break them down. Uh, so you know, let's back up. I think you had a game plan for how you wanted to go. Maybe some. Um, I don't know. You you had well, some toss ups, right? Uh, some toss ups. What we've got is we've got the typical big three, you know, concerns for Auburn going into this game, and that's offensive line. I just touched on all of them. Offensive line, or you know, lack of experience in our running back group, and we've got sloppy starts from Gus. And I've heard a lot of people refer to it as slow, and I'm not going to call it slow anymore. It's absolutely sloppy. When you're making as much money as Gus does, it's not slow. You know, slow is boring, slow is an understatement, slow is fading, and slow takes time. Sloppy's immediate. I mean, it's right there in your face. It's affecting you as soon as the game starts. Everybody is immediately aware that sloppy is present. And, you know, sloppy hamstrings you the entire game and, and keeps you out of it. And in a lot of these early games, Gus has been sloppy. And Absolutely. That might, yeah, that might sound a little hardcore and a little too negative for some people, but that's the kind of stuff we've got to eliminate if we want to be competitive in these games. I, I, I just, I've read three or four articles this week, and I've seen dozens of commenters on various websites refer to it as slow, and it's absolutely not slow. It's sloppy. When you come out on offense and you can't do what you want to do, or you can't do, you know, the fundamental things necessary to score semi-regularly, it's not slow. It's sloppy, and that's my biggest concern. Yeah, so so when I think of slow, I think of getting bogged down in the red zone, okay, in your first couple of games, and not really knowing how the ebb and flow of your particular team is going to handle that. You know, slow is, you know, you put together a couple of first downs, but you can't really move the chains because you're only getting like, you know, let's say you're getting three uh, three yards per rush, and, you know, that's just not enough to move the chains because, you know, three times three is nine, so sometimes you punt, sometimes you get that first down, sometimes you don't. Uh, that's that's slow. Now, sloppy is what we've seen in 2016 where we had six different quarterbacks. And sloppy is... Yeah, so sloppy is last year, uh, really starting at Georgia Southern, where, you know, we have two sacks, we've got, you know, an interception, we've got a star quarterback that, you know, threw for under 200 yards, which I I think that was the only game last season that he did that. But then the very next week, we go to Clemson, we get sacked 11 times, um, Sidham's running from his life. And when we finally kind of settled down in the second half, uh, we were throwing the ball down the field three times and then punting time and time again. That's sloppy. And it's not just the gameplay. It's not just the penalties. It's not just the turnovers. It started with uh, the coaching itself. Yeah, we just weren't ready going into that game. And, you know, you could argue that the year before that, where we had Clemson at home, I mean – that was more than just slow play. I mean, that was sloppy. And we had those guys on the ropes in Jordan-Hare Stadium. That was the team that ended up winning the national championship. A lot of people forget that. And with a game plan that most likely you and I could have come up with something a little bit better, we almost beat Clemson at home. You look at performances like that and you just wonder, you know, I don't question whether or not Gus puts in a lot of hard work in the offseason preparing for teams. I don't question whether or not he focuses a lot. I wonder at times if he wonder if he worries about the 
the right things. You know, he's so big into secrecy and, you know, making sure he doesn't have any tales. And sometimes I wonder if he's not more concerned about that than he is putting together a cohesive game plan. And also trusting the correct people. That's a huge separate issue from this that you haven't even mentioned yet. I mean, just earlier today we were talking about how, you know, the running back situation is going to develop. And you said yourself... And this is the stone-cold truth. He hardly ever rides the correct running back in the first few games, you know, that he needs to, that by season's end we all realize, okay, this is who needs to be getting the rock almost every carry. Yeah, I mean, we saw it in 2013 because if you look at the stats for the first couple of games, uh, you know, Mason did well, but, you know, really it was uh, Cameron Artis Payne and Corey Grant that were doing damage first couple of games. Um, You know, 2014, kind of more of the same. Uh, you know, it's just been kind of a, a thing that we've seen time and time again. I mean, Cam Petway was a phenom in uh, 2016, came out of nowhere. And where, where, where was he the first, you know, three or four games of the season before? He was unstoppable starting at the Arkansas game. So, yeah, I mean, it's just every year we see the kind of the same thing. You stretch it all the way back to 2010 and, the, you know, the Cam Newton quarterback keepers and draws and things didn't really become that prevalent until three, four, five games into that season. Yeah, I mean, it was really uh, either South Carolina or LSU, because I went to both those games and they're really close together, that we really saw what Cam was. And, I mean, you know, you're talking about a third of the way or even halfway through the season when he was truly unleashed and we all just kind of stepped back and went, wow. Right. I believe against South Carolina, that huge run that he had where he he leapt into the end zone from like – 37 yards out, what it seemed like. I'm pretty sure that was an improvised run, and I think that that might have been, you know, what turned the light bulb on in Gus's mind, like, okay, this guy just needs to run the ball as much as possible, and then we throw when the defense gets too keyed in on him. So so this brings up a conversation that we we saw today on the Trackham Tigers blog. You know, I had an article that came out yesterday, uh, and and. and Lo and behold, people came out of the woodwork. Uh, it's amazing when, when people disagree with you. You know, you start seeing a lot of comments. We had some comments about this I was particular if you're subject. Bring this up on the show today or not? So uh, sure. And I, I mean, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do so. I think with some tack and a little bit of grace because um, you know by the end of the day, I think we all were on the same page. But I, I made a comment in this article, okay, that uh, one of the, our readers, actually several readers, just completely. Not only did they not agree with me, but they just thought it was fallacy that I would even bring that up. And I said, Auburn doesn't have to win this game, and they're not motivated to win it. Now, people took this the wrong way. They took that to mean that I was not motivated to win that game, and the players were not motivated to win that game. And that's not what I meant at all. Now, what I meant was uh, Auburn can play in the playoff and lose this game. Okay, I don't think there's any question. They lose this game, and they win out, and they, they may not even have to win out. Let, let's say they win every game going into Amen Corner, and they split Georgia and Alabama. They can probably still get into the playoff then. What I meant was there's a track record with Gus Malzahn on tinkering with offenses. It's going to happen this weekend, too. Now, will it turn into a win for Auburn or not? I think that's something we're going to continue to, to converse with here in the next you know couple of minutes. But um, he's going to tinker. And, and I think Malzahn knows this is not a I-must-win I game. Now, perception is reality, and we all believe that we're paying this guy a ton of money to win these games, and he's been 
awful in openers, awful in bowl games. He needs to win this game. Wouldn't you agree? I agree 100%. And I'm ready to be excited about the beginning of the season again. But, you know, ever since Clemson 2016, after the first quarter of that game, haven't been excited about a big opening matchup. And I think that creates a lot of hesitancy that that guys like me and you have. You know, and, and this isn't a knock on. I mean, we're, we're not less of a fan because we see these trends. I mean, we just kind of temper expectations, right? So, you yeah, know, there I mean, was a I'm lot of conversation. Even, I'm not even calling for Gus's head over this. I just, you know, people ask me my opinion on the game, and I'm just, you know, from what I've seen at the, at the beginning of the season for Auburn, I've got no great educated reason to say here's why Auburn's going to win the game because I haven't seen a prepared team show up for any of these contests. I mean, you take it all the way back to 2015 against Louisville, and that was a really ugly game. We won that football game. Jeremy Johnson was the quarterback, and about two offensive series into that game, everyone, unless they didn't have eyes or ears, realized that Jeremy Johnson was not going to be the quarterback of the future at Auburn. And that was something that the coaches had the entire offseason to figure out. And it took the coaches five or six games to learn that hard lesson. And so I think that we quickly forget about things like that. I think that rightfully so, we try to forget about things like that. But when you cover the football team as much as we do, or you love it as much as we do, that's a better way to put it, it's hard to forget about stuff like that. And you know, I'm always waiting on another Jeremy Johnson situation to crop up. Well, and rightfully so. And again, this is and this a further conversation uh, down this path was that uh, you know things change from year to year, the players change from year to year, and we're talking about trends. And the trends may not matter in the grand scheme of things, but you know, going back to Jeremy Johnson, that that's the, that was a guy that we recruited out of high school, and he was kind of a dud. Um, you know, Sean White kind of gave everything he had, but you know, never lived up to the billing and. Um, so here we are with another uh, junior college transfer. So we're, we're kind of hoping that, that Gus can do what he's done with transfers in the past. Now, you know, one thing I'll say about that Louisville game, uh, we talk about Jeremy Johnson all the time, and, and, and it, you're right. I mean, it was, you know, they drove down the field that first series and scored a touchdown, and it looked great. But from that second series on, it was obvious that he was not the guy. Now, we are incredibly lucky that um, – Lamar Jackson didn't start that game for Louisville. Now, if you are um, unfamiliar with that game, Reggie Bonifant started the game for Louisville, was completely ineffective, uh, thanks to a you know a must champ defense that was improving, considering what what, what happened in 2014. But uh, Lamar Jackson came into the game at, at halftime and lit us up and made that a game that we had to win in the last possession. People forget Louisville had the ball at the end of the game. To win the game. Jeremy Johnson had to throw the football away at the end of that game like a punt to let the time run out. Do you remember that? Uh, vaguely. I, I, I'll i be perfectly it's honest with you. That was, well, that, that, was the, that was the first annual uh, college football kickoff here at the Bard, and I was completely lit by that point in the game. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be frank with you. Uh, oh, okay. Because I, I, hey. I, I saw the writing on the wall, and it, and it was not good. I, I knew from that moment, too, from that moment on that, 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 this team yeah. was in trouble. But anyway. The second half of that game was the start of the Lamar Jackson show at uh, at Louisville. And last year, during the Clemson game, 
there's not a single person that I know personally that watches Auburn football as much as I do that didn't connect Jeremy Johnson to Jarrett Stidham's name almost immediately after watching the first half of that football game. Not because yeah. Jarrett Stidham looked exactly like Jeremy Johnson or we thought he was going to be exactly like Jeremy Johnson, but that's the fear he put into everybody. Would you, I mean, was it the same for you? I mean, that's what everybody was worried about after that Clinton game last year. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, part part of me saw that, and and, and we're all snake bit. Um, you know, I guess we we sports fans are, um, you know, sentimental. Uh, we believe in, you know, curses and whatever. And that the first two games of the season, especially the game against Clemson, yeah, I mean, I saw that. But I also trusted my instinct in terms of watching film from him at Baylor. And I knew that if you put him in the right situation, he would flourish. Now, unfortunately, uh, that right situation was spreading the ball out and hitting timing routes, especially your favorite, the uh, the slant routes. Um, I, I knew he would be routes. now, and he also didn't have a run game like I knew he would have at Auburn. So I mean, I I kind of knew if we put him in the right situation, we would win games. And of course, we ended up doing that down the stretch. Of course, then we get to Atlanta, and you know, KJ's hurt. Uh, we're back in Atlanta for UCF and, and, you know, that was just a travesty, but you know, yeah, there for a minute, I started to wonder, but Jeremy Johnson's problem was complete ineptitude. And I never felt that way with, with Stidham. No, no, I I didn't mean it from a complete ineptitude point, just from, you know, here we go again. We thought we had something turns out we don't. I think at that point, I kind of knew that we had some problems on the offensive line and it didn't matter what player was back there for Auburn if we couldn't figure out the offensive line, um, we we're going to have problems. So, and, and of course, that led into a, a long conversation on the blog today about offensive line, uh, what we were going to expect uh, with uh, Coach Grimes here now versus J, uh, Coach Herm Hand, which me and you spoke ad nauseum last year about how we didn't like how that happened because you know not only was the play calling not very good and not knowing who to hand the ball off to. But the offensive line early in the season last year was an absolute mess, and it just left us all wondering what they were doing the entire yeah, summer. Nobody knew what was going on. I mean, it it just seemed like you could have pulled five guys from the parking lot that would have done a better job of blocking people. Nobody was ever on the same page at the beginning of last year, and it, and it was what made Stidham look just so completely incapable of playing in the SEC. Bless Jared Stidham's heart. He had nothing. And, you know, you can blame him a little bit for keeping the football or, excuse me, holding on to the football a little too long, not throwing the ball away when he needed to. But when you're running for your life on almost every single snap and you're trying to approach every single snap like you're, you know, attempting to make reads, that, that's an extremely difficult thing to sit back and say, yeah, he's holding on to the football too long. Well, he's trying to make something happen and he's, you know, He's being ambushed every single time he's he has the football given to him. I'm really, really hoping that we don't see any of that this year, and I honestly don't think that we're going to see anything that bad. I think the biggest difference maker in our game versus Washington is that, A, Auburn's going to look uh, a little bit or maybe a lot better than they have early in the season, but what's going to cancel some of that out is Washington's going to be a very quality, you know, high-quality opponent. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. And just to touch base on that, you know, again, uh, you're right. Stidham held on, held on to the ball a little long last year, but it didn't help that uh, his line was failing around him, and the play that was called almost every time 
was receivers streaking down the field. So, you know, he's looking at the backs of his receivers and, you know, what's a man to do? So Right. right. I, he's, he's got routes that take six seconds to develop. He's got a second and a half. Yeah. And, and, and I still think um, that was a lot of tinkering that Gus was doing. He, I don't know if he trusted Chip Lindsey yet. And, and that's a comment that we saw on the blog that I do agree with 100% is that there was definitely a shift from – you know, Gus trying to run the show, and later on in the year, that was we started to see Chip Lindsay emerge. And I think this year, out of the gate, we're going to see Chip Lindsay's imprint on this offense more than we saw last year. And I think that's a really good thing. I think that's a great thing. I, I think going forward with everyone pulling in one direction, no matter whose direction it is, is a great thing. When you got two guys influencing the offense with their core values or I don't know, however you want to say it, it's never going to end up well because you're not going to have everybody rowing in the same direction, so to speak. So let's really get into the game here. Where, where do you want to start? Where, what are you feeling? I'm going to let you roll the dice here. Let's really start breaking down this game. You know, we, we've painted this with broad strokes and apparently a lot of our readers uh, want something different from us than they can get anywhere else. So let's really, let's really dive in. What do you got? What do you want to go? Uh, well, we'll start with the depth chart, and I'm going to pull mine up really quick. And I, I, take me through our receivers, and I know that you'll touch on this guy, Sal Canella. I won't tease anything. This doesn't have to be Derek's <laughs> magical mystery show. Um, who are some possible impact receivers for Auburn in this game? Well, I, I tell you, you know, you got to start with Ryan Davis. Um, I, I think that the key to this game, especially early on, uh, is going to be the short and intermediate passing game. In fact, I'm going to eliminate the intermediate passing game because I'm just not sure if if, if Malzahn is capable of utilizing that. I, I don't know if Chip Lindsay is capable of utilizing that. Now, his time at ASU at Southern Miss has been about vertical routes and getting the ball out of the backfield to the backs. So... You know, they kind of act as that short and intermediate guy. Now, Ryan Davis, he's the he's, he's a major key. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, had, what, 84 catches last year? I may be Almost off a little bit on the numbers. Record. Right. I mean, you know, he's a converted quarterback. He's, you know, a great player. He's great in space. We haven't really seen him do anything past three yards down the field. But to early in that game, I think to break up this really talented Washington defense, I think you've got to get uh, – you know, Ryan Davis involved early. Now, the thing that gets me about using him is that you get a lot of tackles for loss. I mean, if you look at his yards per catch last year, it's kind of inflated by a couple of long ones that he had where he caught it behind the line. Uh, I think you really have to look at the yards per attempt. And I don't have that handy in front of me, but I have seen the numbers. But it's something like 3.3 yards per attempt. You know, where was he when the ball was thrown? And he's almost always kind of in that gray zone there. But, you know, he's definitely a key to the game. Now, Will Hastings was in this game. Uh, Hastings, the last two years, has been paramount uh, to getting Auburn going uh, the first couple of games of the season in terms of that possession receiver. Uh, he's not going to be here. And in his hand, and in his place is going to be Sal Canhans Canella. Sal you know, Canella. And I'm starting and to he, bend to my own will, Zach. I'm starting to get a little bit excited that Sal Canella is going to be starting this football game. Well, I mean, how starting can you not? I mean, yeah, I mean, you should. You should be excited. Now, by the prospect that this kid's, you know, six foot five and whatever he weighs, it doesn't really matter. Um, and he's going to be playing slot for us. So you got Ryan Davis kind of playing that outside role at, you know, five foot ten or whatever. And in the slot, you got a six foot five guy. 
you know, uh, it looks good on paper, right? Well, I'm going to play matchups for a second. Washington's got a very strong secondary. They've got a very experienced secondary. In fact, they've got a very experienced team, so I'm going to stop saying that about any position for them on the on the field. But Washington has a very good secondary. I feel like Sal Canella in the slot receiver position can, you know, present some matchup issues for Washington early or late in the game, depending on when Auburn, you know, wants to utilize him. So I think that that's a matchup or, or, or a player on Auburn's offense that people might want to circle and, you know, maybe expect some big plays. Maybe we use him to jump out to a big start. Maybe we use him later in the game when we need a touchdown to put the game away. But I do think that Sal Canella could possibly end up being a key player in this football game. Uh, you know, absolutely. And, and not only for, you know, positive aspects, but negative aspects. Now, you know, and, and to touch on what you're just saying, many consider the two cornerbacks at Washington to be the, the best tandem in college football. Now, that kind of superlative gets thrown out a lot, you know, especially in the preseason. But these are two guys that really are, are high up on the draft board. So, you know, looking at those linebackers, now granted, if we start spreading the ball out and you walk Sal Canella out there, a lot of guy or a lot of defenses are probably going to go to, you know, a dime package. So instead of having that linebacker cover him, um, you know, we're going to have a we're going to see probably a, a fifth defensive back come out. But, you know, maybe we catch him in the right look and, and you're looking at. Uh, you know, Ryan Bowman, six foot, two sixty three, sophomore. Ben Burr, Curvin, senior, six foot, two twenty one. Or those are the two guys that are going to possibly be covering him. Most likely, it's going to be Ben Berg Curvin, senior, six zero, two twenty one, on a six foot five guy. I don't know how this guy runs from Washington. Uh, and, and you know, there's another guy. The only guy that they could really throw out there, and I'm going to butcher his name, so I'm not even going to. I'm going to spell it for you. P o t o a apostrophe e. He's a junior, six foot three, two hundred seventy five pounds. He's the only guy with the height that can match up to Canella, but. He's also kind of a heavy guy. So if you can catch Washington, you know, you, you bring Canella, you, you show him kind of on the line, in line as a blocker, and then you flex him out, you know, yeah, you, you can absolutely get a mismatch there. That's good stuff. Now, the next position I want to ask you about, and you had notes about this as well this afternoon, uh, the running back position. What can we expect to see from Auburn's running backs in this game? Well, you know, I, I wrote on my last – my last article that I put up uh, and it was only kind of a one line thing, but you know, everybody has Cam Martin penciled in as a starter. And, and a lot of these people, they just go to ESPN and they look at the stats and they say, okay, let's see here. Uh, carry on Johnson gone. Who's the very next guy. Oh, that's Cam Martin. He had, you know, 563 yards, whatever it was he had. He's obviously the heir apparent. Well, that's not the case because if that was the case, I could point at Corey Grant. I could point at Ontario McCaleb. I could point at a lot of guys because he, he, he is that role. He's that size. He has that speed. He has the versatility to catch the ball in the backfield, but he doesn't have the ability to run inside. Now, I could be wrong, but I've seen enough out of Kim Martin to know that anytime he's tried to run inside, uh, you know, he got stuffed. And, and we all, you know, think back to um, not only the Iron Bowl when we were trying to salt the game away, but also anytime that carry on got hurt. I think uh, in Atlanta we had to try to lean on him. We had to lean on him in, in, in against UCF, and he just couldn't do it. He definitely has some uses, but as an every-down back, I think you got to look at, at Booby Whitlow. And I did a you know kind of a Booby. cursory look at Booby. Yeah, but put Booby in, let him spin. That's a throwback to Friday Night Lights, in case you didn't know. Um, if you watch the video, 
video, if you watch the highlights of the last A-Day, Whitlow jumps out on the screen at you, okay? Uh, granted, now, Cam Morton did do a lot of work, and there was a lot of work by, you know, other guys that are not going to play running back at Auburn. But Whitlow has it. He's got it. He can run between the tackles. He definitely has enough to get outside and bust the edge if he needs to. He's got breakaway speed. But the most important thing came out today in an article on AL.com that Whitlow was the best pa- uh, pass protection back that Auburn has on the roster. That's and huge. That's huge. That's huge. That, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to understand that if Cam Martin's in the game, you know he's going to get the ball or, or it's a run play. But if Booby's in the in the ball game, you don't know what's coming. So right. just, to, just to give our listeners and some fans some perspective on uh, Cam Martin's size and his ability to go in between the tackles and be our every down back, he's essentially the same build as Miles Gaskin for Washington. And Miles Gaskin only went for 20 carries or more in four games last season in a much less physical conference than the SEC. So if you're looking for somebody like Cam Martin or expect him to be the every down guy and go 15, 20 carries a week in the SEC, I just don't see that happening. And that's not a knock on Cam Martin. That's just the SEC is an extremely tough league to carry the football in. And you've got to be a little bit bigger than what I believe he's 5'10", 195. And he's not that. Look, let, let's be perfectly yeah. honest, okay? I, you know, I Cam Martin's my friend on Facebook. Uh, I know he works extremely hard. The kid works. He's got the work ethic. I'm not downing that at all. You can see it. It's there for you to go look if you want to go find it. But I also know that stats get inflated because these guys come by my tailgate every year, and six foot three is six foot, guys. At 200 pounds is 178. I see it all the time. This kid's five foot whatever. He's 170 pounds, okay? And if you go look at his stats, I mean, it's the same deal where I think he had more than – I think he had 13 carries in one game, and that was only one game. After that, it was just kind of a carry here, a carry there. So I, I do think he's the game-breaker. I mean, you know, Michaela was a game-breaker. Grant was a game-breaker. These guys, you know, about the time the defense sucks in and tries to stop your Trey Mason or your Booby Whitlow or your Cameron Artis Payne or your Mike Dyer – or your Ben Tate in this case, that's when this guy takes one across the end or catches a pass in the backfield, which is what Martin does incredibly well, and breaks the game open. Yeah, and obviously he's going to be great for that. And I'm glad that you pointed that out. We're going to start getting some ambiance now because it is storming like crazy at my house, and there's no way for me to keep the, the storm rain sounds from getting you know into this recording a little bit. Um Talk to me a little bit about talk to me a little about a little bit about just how much you think Booby Whitlow can do in this offense this year. Is he a guy that's going to be able to put up close to eight, nine hundred, maybe a thousand yards rushing this year? Do you see that from him? Well, you know, I mean, again, we we have to rely on our experience, and you know, Trey Mason was a guy that we had seen flashes in twenty eleven. Um, and of course, it took him to the, like the last carry in 2012 to get to a thousand yards. Um, I kind of see that with Whitlow. Um, you know, we just don't know what this offensive line is going to be like. We don't know how much we're going to rely on Jarrett Sidham. I think our best chance at having a thousand yard back is going to be Boo Whitlow. I do think he's going to do it. Uh, I don't think it's even going to be close. I, I think this guy is a well-rounded guy. I don't know how he catches the ball out of the backfield, and that's a huge thing in a Chip Lindsey offense. Now, if if this were um, you know, a throwback a couple of years ago, 
with an old school Gus Mills on offense, I'd say, yeah, I don't know. I'm not really sure who's it, who's it going to be. I don't know if he could get to 1,000 yards, but um, I, I, I do think he can do it. Uh, but the, 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 the kicker the kicker is going to be can Cam Martin or how many carries is Cam Martin going to get, and how much are we going to throw the ball to the to the back out of the backfield? Okay. Do you think that do you see this as an offense where we'll be throwing it to the to the back a lot out of the backfield? Because I was under the impression, at least from you, and maybe I'm misremembering this, but I thought that Chip Lindsey liked to throw to our backs a lot out of the backfield, and that's not he, something he, we really saw a whole lot of last year. He does. Uh, you know, that was kind of his staple. He had Edo Smith at Southern Miss. Uh, actually, he had a tandem of backs at Edo, uh, with Edo Smith, and I can't remember the other one uh, off the top of my head. But uh, they really, really, really like throwing the ball out of the backfield. So they, what they do is they try to spread you out with four receivers and, and get those vertical routes going. And if you got a good quarterback, and we have that, who can deliver the ball, you know, you've got it, the defense has to go into a dime defense. they got to draw back into coverage. And you either A – send the back up the middle and dump it right in front of the linebackers, or B, you swing it out on the side. Now, does Booby Whitlow do that well? We just don't know. We haven't seen it. It wasn't there in the 8A game. We have nothing to compare it to right now. We know Cam Martin can do that. We've seen him do it with wheel routes. Uh, we saw him do it last year. They attempted several times this year during the A-Day game to get him the ball on uh, some wheel routes. Now, I think he caught one or two. He also had a really bad drop, but there was obviously a focus on getting the ball to him out of the backfield, and I think he'll do a tremendous amount of damage catching the ball out of the backfield. But then again, you know, I mean, it's just going to come down to, you know, what is, what's the identity of this offense? Are we going to be a run first or a throw first? And for the first time, I think under Malzahn, this is a legitimate question going into the season. Is this a run first or a throw first? Yeah, I'm really interested to see how we're going to approach the Washington defense this weekend. I mean, I asked you earlier today, you know, what do you think our first series is going to look like? Are we going to come out trying to throw it to set up the run? Or are we going to come out and – Jesus Christ. Or are we going to try to come out and uh, run it to set up the pass? And I, I honestly don't know what we're going to be better at to, uh, you know, to start the season. Well, you know, I mean – I, I think we're going to try to come out and throw the ball. Uh, you've got, you know, what we think, uh, no, well, we know Jared Sidham is a first-round quarterback. Uh, he pretty much was a first-round quarterback this year if he would have decided to, to go to the NFL. Uh, the question is going to be, do we have the receivers that can pull this off? And, and I'm just not sold on that yet. Uh, they could surprise me. I'm just, I'm just not there. But uh, that doesn't stop them from trying it, especially that first series. I think Auburn comes out and they try to throw it the first series personally. Agreed. So I wanted to touch on the defense a little bit, but I think we're going to have to bring this home because I don't know. I might have a tornado come into my house right now. It kind of so, sounds like it. Uh, give me your brief thoughts on how you think our defense will handle the Washington State uh, offensive attack, and then we'll give our final predictions for the game. How does that sound? That sounds good. Uh, you know, so Washington is bringing in a pretty experienced line. Um, you know, they got a bunch of upperclassmen um, that are going to be anchoring that. And one of the surprises is going to be that uh, uh, Kirkland is a redshirt freshman. He's the son uh, or the son of one of their, you know, all time great guys. Dean was a captain, starting guard on the 1990 Pac-10 championship team. He's going to supplant uh, a senior at Matt James. So they, they're actually got a loaded roster in, turn of, in terms of experience. Plus this guy, which, you know, I think this is the guy. I think this is the key. So they're going to bring in this guy, Jackson Kirkland, 
It's going to be like his first start. I mean, obviously it's going to be his first start. He's a redshirt freshman. I think that our defensive line is going to exploit this. You know, I see kind of the Prince Tega Winago situation from last year where you've got a really talented guy. You think he's going to be just kind of a mainstay. So you go with the youth and the physical traits over the experience. Um, so I, I think I think we're going to be fine along the defensive line. Now, you know, we're replacing a lot of guys in our secondary, but the Huskies are replacing a ton of production along the uh, the receiver position. So with Dante Pettis leaving, this is a guy that had 63 receptions, 700 yards, uh, seven touchdowns. Hunter Bryant's the tight end. He's out for this game. Uh, so now we're looking at Aaron Fuller, Will Disley, uh, and Andre Baslia. And none of these guys have more than 26 catches. Yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, probably not. It, but, uh, you know, none of these guys have more than 26 catches. In fact, you know, Miles Gaskin has 19 catches. You know, he's basically third on the team in returning catches. Um, they don't know who their playmaker is on the outside. I think that's a great thing for Auburn. Um, and, and we're talking about, you know, a Pac-12 a pack team that, you know, they, they throw the ball all around the yard. Everybody gets reception. That doesn't make them a great receiver. So they don't have that brand name receiver right now. I think Auburn takes advantage of that. So uh, maybe give Washington a little bit of an advantage early on with their offensive line against our defensive line. I think in the end, in fact, I don't think I know Washington, Washington is not going to be able to hold up to the depth that we have along the defensive line. I give Auburn a huge advantage in the skill position. Uh, the linebacker play, that's going to be key. Can we, Stuff Miles Gaskin. And like you said, this is not a big guy. Uh, you know, he had 1,380 yards. He averaged 6.2 per carry. Had 21 touchdowns rushing last year on 22 car- or 222 Can't carries. Can't let him get to the edge. Cannot let him get to the edge against Auburn. Yeah, and that's a great point. Fantastic point there. keep this guy contained. And, and, and we, I go back to, like, our talks that we had last week uh, or maybe the week before about the sideline, the sideline speed of our linebackers. That is going to be my key to the game. Can we get our guys, the linebackers, can they cover from sideline to sideline? It's going to be huge. It's going to be a huge part of this game. Do you have a score prediction or anything like that? Oh, man. I, I'm i just all over the map. You know, I – to me, I think Washington is going to come out and they're going to jump on us early. I see this as a 17-3 to at halftime. I think uh, Kevin still makes the adjustment. Washington maybe scores three points in the second half. Uh, I think you got to look at the line. you got to look at the Vegas line. I think uh, you got to take the Tigers by three. I'm looking at 27-24. Nice. I was, I was in here in my office prepared to uh, predict Washington – defeating Auburn 27 to 20 but the more I think about it the worse this storm outside my house gets so I think I'm gonna go with Auburn 27 Washington 17 how's that sound that sounds great and if it gets even nastier kind of like the weather you're facing that would be even better but only in the right way it might put us up to like 31 14 depending on how this keeps going so so uh for Zach uh I'm Derek Roberts. This has been the Trackham Tigers podcast. This is a special weather-shortened edition of the Trackham Tigers podcast. Uh, don't forget to get by our blog within the next couple of days so that you can sign up for the Yahoo Pick'ems contest. We really want you to be part of that for us. And also, just remember to check out TrackhamTigers.com every day so that you can read wonderful articles from writers like Zach, Paul Elder, Acid Rain, Jay Coulter, and many other people who are contributing their great work every day. Uh, 
Zach, I appreciate it. For sure. I'm really excited about the weekend. I know you guys are. Hopefully Derek will not die in this tornado and he will be in Atlanta. I'm running to my cellar right now. I'm getting my ruby slippers and I'm and I'm heading downstairs. You're going to your Freddy hole. Go to your <laughs> Freddy hole, Derek. War Eagle, Zach. War Eagle. Some money.